everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of QSR Uncut. I'm your host, Danny Klein, the editorial director here at QSR, and joined by my colleague and co-host, Ben Coley, who, as we said in the recent episode, is now the editor of QSR. Um, so, good, good news for him, but... We are going to dive into the fast casual world today, as we often do. I think um, the emerging side of the sector is always where a lot of the excitement is. You know, for 4040 brands, as we've uh, mentioned before, this is definitely one of them from the past. So we are joined this week by co-founders Kyle and Maggie Gordon of Dillis Quesadillas. Um, Interesting story we had off air here about how to pronounce that. I'll, I'll let him... I'll let Kyle tell you what he just told us about, um, you know, customers kind of coming in there and, and not knowing. But anyway, now you know from us, but, you know, thank you both for joining us. If We'll open the floor just if you want to talk a little bit about the brand, about yourselves, how it got started, where you're all headed, and we'll take it from there. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having us. We're yeah. excited to be here. Exciting. Go ahead, Maggie. Uh, well, to Danny's point about the name, it's kind of a customers come in all the time and they'll look at each other and go, is it Dillas or Diaz? And when we say, well, it's Dillas, you know, it's just like American slang. They're inevitably, one of them's like, I told you, <laughs> you know, it's like always a joke between them. Um, but it is Dillas. And we got that. Um, I'll let Kyle tell kind of the origin of the brand back in college. Yeah. So it goes back. Maggie and I met in college and, uh, you know, we're the co-founders. And right now I act as CEO and she acts as the president of the company. So She's the brains, I'm the brawn, basically. And back in those days, there was a movie that had just come out. It's called Napoleon Dynamite. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're like, I had the idea for this quesadilla place. We're sitting around with some of my fraternity brothers, and Maggie's there. And like, the, her his grandma is about to go out of town. And Napoleon is like, well, what am I going to eat? And she's like, well, make yourself a damn quesadilla. And so ever since then we started calling quesadillas Dillas. And so, you know, we would like put Cheetos and like, you know, we're poor college kids. And so like, that was our innocuous, like slang thing for quesadillas was Dillas. And so when it came time to found the company seven or eight years later, um, we, we came up with a bunch of different names, like, you know, quesadilla villa, quirky quesadillas. And we we're like, you know what? Screw that. Like, we're going to go back to the original name, Dillas. And that's where Keep it, it is. simple. That's yeah. it. That's, I mean, we want to be, you know, when you think of quesadillas, you only think of Dillas, right? Like it's, it's, we want it to be the household name, like Kleenex. Yep. And so, um, I guess more to, uh, the founding of it, you know, again, like I, I worked in, uh, a, a really big growing company at the time, Raising Canes. Um, so that's where I really cut my teeth and learned restaurantology, as I like to call it. That was my graduate degree. Um, and then we opened Dilla's in 2013 and we sell Primo Quesadilla meals. Um, so that's that's it. That's that's the brand. That's who we are. Yeah, it was uh, definitely an origin in college when we met. And he always had that idea and saw the unique features that a counter service, like the fast casual, you know, as you're talking about, it was emerging at the time as a new segment. And, um, it was only like one Chipotle in Austin at that time. Yeah. And and it was a very intriguing concept to us. And he just has like a love for quesadillas always. And so he was like, man, like burritos are good and all, but like everything's better in a quesadilla. Quesadillas where it's at. (laughs) So we kind of created this 
model after his time at Raising Cane's, you know, he was there for so long and saw the efficiency and throughput of a QSR. So we really kind of blended those two models to create what we call like a quality convenience um, where we kind of bridge the gap between those two segments. Can I just say, Kyle, your um, your Napoleon Dynamite impression was really good. Thank I you. Think... Yeah, I hardly ever get credit for that. I know, and it's so sad. So many of our team members these days don't even know the reference anymore. Yeah. We're like, yeah. we're getting old. Yeah, that that happens to well, definitely to me with people I've been hiring recently. Yes. I'm glad I'm glad Ben knows what that is though. Oh, I do I do I do know Napoleon Dynamite. I love that movie. And Kyle, I, I don't know if you remember um when I interviewed you a while back, but I wish I would have heard that 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 origin story. I would have definitely put that in the uh the article. I mean that's incredible. That's like one of the most amazing origin stories I've ever heard that you got it from yeah. that, that ben movie. Ben apparently really likes uh Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> no, it's it's a great movie. Like it's it's still plays today. Like I mean you watch it, it's still as funny as it was back then. Classic. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is for sure. Um, yeah. you know, so I always, you know, always with founders, I think it's especially in this part of quick service, I always like to really talk about those early days because everyone has ideas and then you hear these crazy stats about how many restaurants don't make it, which by the way, I've always thought are completely inaccurate and made up by most people. <laughs> but beyond that, it's definitely a hard segment to of course be successful in. So I mean, talk about those early couple of weeks, months, years, you know, in terms of like, when did you go from saying, I've got this great idea to realizing you actually had a concept that was yeah. going to grow and survive and, you know, make it in this, um, you know, super crowded world of food service. For sure. And I think that I'm going to take this one on because Maggie came in a little bit later, um, but I'll, I'll also tell you why she came in a little bit later. But so really quickly I got in over my head um, you know all the typical stories like undercapitalized uh, took six months longer than we thought it was going to take and then when we did finally open we were just like so desperate that we were like it doesn't matter that it's December December 27th okay like, think about that as an opening day. Open. it's ridiculous yeah. and on top of that um, it was freezing. Yeah. Um, like Dallas at the time, like we went through ice Mageddon that December trying to get open. So as Kyle said, many construction delays and we had to open. It was even our daughter's second birthday that the day that we opened, cause we were like, we don't care. We just have to start having money come through the door, yeah. even though it's a terrible time to open. And I think part of the false sense of security we had really like Kyle, like you said, had been growing with raising canes. And we opened our restaurant in the same parking lot as the Raising Canes he was running. And it was doing 65000 a week. And so we're like, if we can do half that, we're, we'll probably, be great. Yeah, we're going to open doing like 30 a week, right? No, and, and we opened doing like nine. And so like, it was like... <laughs> rude awakening. Yeah, like, right away. We're like, we have no brand awareness. Um, our systems aren't great. We have no cash. Our menu isn't priced properly. We didn't have uh, one the right of the, menu items on there. I mean, we yeah. reiterated the menu multiple times to get it right. And we had to more so me than Kyle overcome my like pride in recipes or not recipes, but menu choices, because we really did the whole menu ourselves and they're all our recipes. And like, 
our baby, you know, and like listening to customers when they're like, why don't you have chips and queso? And we're like, but it's American and we don't need chips and queso, you know, but like, that's what the people wanted. So we had to really like overcome that self pride and like do what the people asked for. And the facility itself, like during the construction process, we didn't know it at the time, but one of the construction guys in the plumbing uh, trade put a nail through one of the up pipes. Um, and so right by the front door, it smelled like sewer gas for like our mm. first three weeks. And so we broke open the wall and repaired the pipe. So like, we were like doing smoke tests, like, like every week, that first few weeks to try to figure out where this sewer gas smell was coming from. So like our opening story was basically a complete disaster. Um, in addition to it being an ongoing disaster. And so the only thing that we really had to like hang our hats on um, is the fact that like we really listened to the customer. Um, We really supported and loved on the team. We continued to kind of uh, build that culture. And like we had like a Easter hunt uh, that first year and two people showed up out of like our- Yeah, a couple managers and a couple (laughs) team members showed up. So they found all the money eggs and like, they were the only ones there. And like, we dove into the community first and foremost. It was like the the thing we had going for us, no matter what was the food was delicious. So Mm -hmm. we, we just banked on the fact that we just have to get the food in more people's mouths. So we would go to every community event. We were at the schools. Kyle and I were like at the homecoming brunch at the high school. And the, you know, like we, we just like immersed ourselves in the community and did anything we could to get, our brand and our food in front of people. Yeah. We were just trying to get that immediate one mile um, to become stable um, and kind of get to a break even point as fast as possible. And the way I kind of like tell people I do like talks to high schools and stuff, I'm like, listen, it's kind of like having a, a stationary locomotive. And the only thing that you have to fuel the engine is stacks of $100 bills. And you have to keep shoveling them into the fire to get this locomotive moving and get out of the station to be able to get some traction and success and some momentum. And so that's what that period of our life was like. Um, but the first year, you know, like we made it, um, yep. you know, we we had to kind of use a lot of the capital that we had saved up. Um, it was just friends and family. Um, I kind of took a payout um, when I left uh, canes. And so I had some savings, Maggie had some savings. And so burnt through all of that. Um, and then year two, we started getting a little bit more traction. That was when we broke a million. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, that was good, a good little check mark, um, on the way to progress, uh, started getting, you know, a little bit more profit. Um, we're able to kind of leverage a bank loan, um, to get the second one open in 2017. And then yeah. kind of it, it, discontinued on from there. So that was the basically 2013 to 2017, I would say is like the beginning story. Yeah. Just getting, getting it right. You know, there's just so much you go in thinking it's going to be like in your head, the perfect way of whether it's a process, a menu item, you know, or a, a product that you have. Right. And it's just check and adjust all through that first beginning to get it right before you can start growing. Yeah. We had never made more than a gallon of jalapeno ranch. And then day one, we had to start making five gallons. That was a disaster. Mm-hmm. We had an SOP like book manual going into the opening, which we basically 
like threw it in the trash. <laughs> yeah, after a week, we're like, this is completely worthless. Why do we spend time doing this before we open? So, but I think that we did go into it knowing we knew we wanted to grow it. It was never intended to be a one location brand. Um, so we did open, like you said, like probably not many like mom and pop places will open with an SOP, but we felt like for professional way to run a business, we wanted to like dot our I's and cross our T's and like do things the right way with process and system. So we've been a core from the beginning. They've just evolved a lot. We wanted to look the part, you know, like we didn't want to ever have any excuses for our team. You know, like we wanted to say like, listen, we want to be the best in the world at Primo Quesadilla Meals and like we want to have amazing people. And so we're not going to sacrifice on like having Excel schedules. Like we're going to invest the money and you know, invest in a, an online platform to have schedules from day one, because that's what's cutting edge. That's what is, you know, what we think the employees want now. Um, so we always kind of like tried to act like a big boy until we could kind of, you know, work our way into becoming one. That, um, that analogy about you shoveling money, you know, into, to keep the engine going. That's, that's how I picture being a parent. (laughs) <laughs> yes. is that too parenting i mean restaurants are really just another child yeah yeah i feel that way every day in my life um, <laughs> but um and and also just you know for i'm sure most people listening to this know what a sop but uh standard operating procedures in case there's someone wondering what that is but yep. yeah so so tell us about location number two and when that day came and and when you had sort of the mindset that it was now something that you could go out and I know you mentioned that was always from day one a goal but when did that actually you know click into place I I think so getting number two open was the natural next step and like Kyle said once we got to a spot where we were profitably we were consistently profitable right the bank would trust us with some money we put enough in we still had to raise some more on our own but um we knew we didn't need to like reinvent the wheel at that point. We were done making the menu changes. The people were in a solid place. We had systems to train them. Um, and and a real estate opportunity came our way, honestly. And we we're like, hey, we can't pass on this. We've got to find a way to make it work. Um, but I think that, and, and getting number two open was a huge hurdle, right? Like it was our opportunity to elevate the brand and the design. Like if you, we've, refreshed it since then. But at the time we took that opportunity to put in a whole new like interior design on the space because the first one was the second gen of a Jack in the box. So we had to, and we were on a budget, you know, so we kind of like cut some corners and did what we had to do to get open, but we had an empty blank slate cause it was a new development. So we got to start from scratch and that was really exciting to get to like create that vision of what the brand is going to look like um, in the customer's mindset. And, and even then really getting number three open wasn't that was the turning point more than number two, honestly, I feel like number four was really because once we got through number three, because three was still a hurdle, like getting it open and the, the NRO process of training, we still didn't have quite right. And the cash resources from the second restaurant that kind of then went way down and yeah, balancing the, the new openings with the existing teams was become in cash flow within that was really kind of like a juggle for us. So I felt like when we went into our fourth opening was when it was super smooth, successful, like a well-oiled machine, open like crazy. And we're like, okay, we got this. Now we have something. Yeah, we got this. Now we can go and like really look for big money. And 
get into like, you know, we got a partner and we're starting franchising. So it was like, we now have something that we feel like we can stamp out and replicate. It was still really a process up through up until that fourth one. Yeah. And I mean, that was like, so we started in 2013 and we didn't really know what we had until 2000, late 2018 and into 19. And then all yeah. of a sudden you, you go into COVID, which completely stalled our growth. Yeah. Um, and then we came out of that and like, now we're at seven restaurants um, and like, we have a lot of momentum, but I mean, it's been a, a nine year, 10 year almost journey um, to like get to that point. Yeah. And part of that is us being patient and doing it right, you know, slow and steady and like making sure like we weren't willing to sacrifice our teams, um, their stability and happiness within the unit with us just throwing new openings at them and stressing them out and like splitting them off and nor were we willing to sacrifice control equity, right? You know, so like we weren't mm -hmm. like, oh, like let's just dilute ourselves down to ten percent and try to go open twenty five of these or something like that. Like we wanted to fight through the hard phases um, and be able to really build a solid foundation um, to where we could control our brand, you know, and and build the culture and help the communities the way that we wanted to. Um, without getting into a sticky situation where we were kind of doing it for money or because somebody told us to do something. So yeah, that, that was, was, that was a difficult piece of it. I think that that is a cornerstone of our success that we've identified is the culture and the community piece um, with the unique experience you get at Dilla's. And we knew that if we did it too fast, didn't do it right, went with a, you know, a super fast equity partner, that was going to dissolve and the brand's integrity wouldn't be there for the growth that we knew it had the ability for based on our foundation. You know, so I started in this job about three years ago. And one of the more fascinating things that I encountered is how some of these brands have been able to craft a concept around a food item that isn't traditionally, you know, featured as a hero item, you know, Good example is you know chicken salad with chicken salad chick, and then there's um, roll them up taquitos with taquitos, and of course you guys with quesadillas. You know, typically you think you know burritos, you think tacos, you think those are the big players, but you guys have been able to grow a concept around quesadillas, which is typically seen as one of the more I guess secondary kind of um, you know um, Tex-Mex items. So I guess you know kind of describe to me you know what gave you guys confidence that you guys could put you know quesadillas in a spotlight. And you guys would be successful with uh, this being, you know, kind of the primary item on your menu. I think that, you know, like I'll, I'll start with that because I told, you know, Maggie about my passion for quesadillas and why I like them from the get go. Um, and what it is, is really the flexibility. You know, it's a vehicle that you can be really creative with. Um, you can do a lot of different things with it. Um, and so we knew that it kind of had uh, leg, you know, and so I, I don't know if you can necessarily um, say that, like when you see it on a TGI Fridays menu, um, it typically is chicken and cheese, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of been put into this uh, corner where it's not allowed to really thrive. Um, but when you make it the only item, uh, you can really kind of ex express its true potential. Like, so we've got 10 different quesadillas, we've got 
there's if you build your own thousands of different combinations you can go gluten-free you can go vegan you can go vegetarian you can like it's you can go crazy over the top i mean and it's craveable you know like we wanted something that was like man like i crave that like it's got get it anywhere else like kyle said the the ingredients we put in a quesadilla you can't go to another restaurant they any customer could say oh you can just go to Taco Bell and get one. It's like, no, you can't. Yeah. You can't go get a fluffy at Taco Bell with bean spread and steak and queso and pico and French fries inside your quesadilla, you know? Yeah. And I think that the other thing for us that really resonated, I mean, still to this day, if anytime we say we have a quesadilla restaurant, almost always the first thing someone says is, I, I love, love quesadillas. quesadillas. <laughs> yeah. So like, like we're like, literally yes. who doesn't like a quesadilla from two years old, to 80 years old, like everyone loves quesadillas and then they get to like make it their own. And kids, you know, kids like quesadillas as well. And like, you know, part of our marketing strategy is like, you know, we want to foster that relationship with kids. Um, You know, like we're feeding them when they're in elementary school, they grow up with it through middle school. We support them along the way in high school, they go off to college and we can meet them where they're going to school. And like, then they're going to have families. You they're going to bring their kids. Yeah. And so like it, we can really, uh, you know, the product can cater to that entire life cycle. And so like, that's why we really thought it would be a great vehicle. Um, as we've grown the business and gotten to know it even more, um, it's just layered on that kind of confidence that we had. And I could have easily left canes and tried to rip it off and do chicken fingers, but like it's, it is such a bloody ocean out there for chicken and hamburgers and pizza and tacos. And we're like, where's the blue ocean? Right. And so being unique, having a unique product offering, um, that can really be, we can be the best in the world at, um, is what we gravitated towards, you know, instead of being second best or fifth best burger, uh, we wanted to be like, no, like we are the brand for that. Um, and like we could really own the category. Yeah. And kind of, you know, comparing to that chicken finger example there, I mean, does it allow you a little bit of flexibility too in your innovation as well? Just because, you know, someone like Keynes, the commodity market is dictating a lot of, uh, a lot of their costs because of course they've got to serve what they've got to serve. But, you know, have you been able to maybe adjust a little bit, you know, especially these last couple of years being crazy, but just also to bring new things onto the menu because, yeah, as you said, you could you could put pretty much anything on a quesadilla. I mean, I'm right. not someone to know whether or not it would taste good, but um, <laughs> but you can put gummy worms in there if your two year old wants it. I like that. Gummy dilla. Gummy dilla. Probably horrible. The gummy the Colorado one, probably. Yeah, I think you know, we don't change up the menu a whole lot, but we've got it in our back pocket. Is kind of how we look at it. We know that like should there be, you know, a mad cow disease that rips through America tomorrow, we can pivot. We don't have to have chicken in our quesadillas. We can put tofu in them. Yeah. Or if, you know, that would I mean, be a fun thing to throw into the, uh, <laughs> the, the, other, the other thing is, is like, you, you know, you see a massive trend in like at least a vegan option, mm-hmm. you know, like even Chick-fil-A is starting to you know, play in the cauliflower chicken yep. sandwich game and like these different things that consumers are interested in. And so I totally agree with you. You know, it it allows us to innovate. It allows us to meet our customers where they are over time. 
Um, so if we need to kind of check and adjust and do different things, um, you know, it, it's a great vehicle for that. And uh, it's also something for everyone yeah. because like when you do come in there, like I said, you can get one that is a vegan gluten-free quesadilla and then your friend can get gorilla fries, which are like fries drenched in queso and a gordo, which is like ground beef and bacon and french fries and pico de gallo and like really go like man i'm just craving like i'm super hungry right now um so like it it offers that whereas a lot of these other brands that are focused really only kind of offer the uh, i guess the the more like the gluttonous or kind of the you know yeah and i think that stems from like when we were creating what we wanted the brand to be you know we were a young family too and we have different tastes and different health, you know, waves that we go through. So like Maggie and I definitely order different things when we go to Dillard's. Sometimes we'll order very similar, sometimes very different, but like whatever mood I'm in, sometimes I want to go get a vegan, like super healthy version. Sometimes I want to get a salad style, but I know my kids are happy with a quesadilla and French fries, no matter what, and a cookie, right? Like the, the the cookie. Yeah. So like, our vision was everyone's happy. Like, it's not like, uh, I don't want to go there. Cause if Kyle, there are certain places, if Kyle asked me like, let's go get this. I'm like, I don't want that, you know? And, but you can always find something on our menu for everyone in the family or everyone in the group. Like if it's an office lunch or something like that. So that's really the vision of being flexible and unique, but craveable at the same time. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, you mentioned franchising a big step for you guys and your growth story. Uh, kind of take us through, you know, how that process has been for you guys um, in terms of, um, you know, adjusting the restaurants to be, you know, or, you know, repeatable and all their processes kind of being streamlined across footprint um, for that, that, um, that those future uh, franchisees. How's that um, all that been for you guys? Well, I think it starts with the vision, you know, and so like our vision is to be the brand for Primo Quesadilla meals, like the brand not the brand for Primo Quesadilla Meals in Dallas. And so we knew that we were going to need to be able to scale up um, and get into new markets, uh, which requires a a lot of capital, um, a lot of people. Um, And so like, obviously franchising done the right way can really um, support that level of growth. And so uh, early on in 2018, I guess I'll yeah. let you tell the story of like kind of how Pete got involved. And- yeah. So we had um, one of Kyle's friends from Canes, you know, he had parted ways with the company and came to us and like, he was super jazzed about what we were doing and he was not loving what he was doing post Canes and really wanted to get back in the restaurant industry. And so he approached us wanting to you know, is there any way I can do something with you guys? So we, we came up with a partnership that worked to kind of test the waters. We weren't really ready to franchise then. Um, but we kind of honestly, at that point, we're still in the mindset of, we thought it was wanting to be a company growth only company, but we were going to do this little side deal with him, like a special thing. And And we um, did need, we did also need proof of concept in another market. Yeah. It gave us an opportunity to do that. And we, we had, I mean, for the size we were at the time, the amount of systems we had was quite vast, but still in its infancy at the same time, you know? And so um, we knew we had systems to train them and teach them. And we kind of, you know, dabbed our toe in the water, if you will, doing this partnership with him in Shreveport. And so it gave us, he opened very strong. Um, it They've been a great partner. He has three locations now out there in Shreveport and each opening 
was stronger and stronger. And it really proved to us that, okay, it works in another market, someone else without us being there to hold their hand every step of the way, can restaurants run them to a very good standard. And we of course have tweaks along the way, but um, we felt confident that at that point we could find a partner to help us with the logistical side of it. You know, the legal, all that stuff. It's really no fun. The, like I said, the good thing, we actually had a lot of systems in place. So the systems piece hasn't really been um, a struggle for us in the building of the franchise model. It's really the, the legal and kind of our home office structure, if you will, like in the units, they're like pretty dialed in. We could have a franchisee start a year ago and they'd be fine. You know, we're continuing to improve, but the legal side really took a while. Um, FDD was new language for us, the franchise disclosure document and how that relates to the franchise agreement and the, you know, development agreement and really learning along the way with great people by our side. I mean, we have a great legal team, a great consultant team that helps us making sure that the manuals are all compliant, you know, the compliance and structure of it all is complex. Um, so that's been a big learning curve for us. And I think that the one thing that you guys can probably see or hear is that we're methodical, right? We're patient. Um, it, we've, it's taken us nine years to get a franchise program started, right? And it's because we wanted to build on a very strong base, right? And so like laying the concrete, the rebarb, like all of the support that we knew was going to be necessary. We had to plug in a lot of fractional seats this last year to prepare to be able to handle new growth in new markets. Um, you know, you have to have a fat cash balance um, on your balance sheet because it starts triggering a lot of new costs. Um, and so we weren't ready for that for the first eight years, right? you know, and so it took us that long and took that much thought and, uh, Primo Restaurant Group, which is the name of Pete's group that is growing in Louisiana. And then he's also uh, opening restaurants in East Texas with us. Um, it, you know, we've been nurturing that relationship for going on five years. Um, and so we've learned so much just from having one relationship yeah. that we can apply to, okay, now we're going out there and looking for multiple relationships with known and proven operators. Um, and so how can we apply that knowledge, refine that knowledge, deploy it in a really smart, organized way um, so we can come into the market best in class and not come into the market? Like it, it, it mirrors exactly what we did with our first restaurant, right? We didn't build two and move it until we really had it right. And we're not going out and franchising until we really have a great product to attract the right people because that's who we're looking for is the relationships. You know, we're not going to go out there and just open 80 Dillas in the next four years. It's not about that. Yeah. It's about strategic relationships and markets that we want to do business. We're really looking for those core values aligned, people aligned, like people centric that are going to operators. Yeah. Operate, like know what operations means because we are a operations company at the core. And so like, we're not in a rush and we want someone that we know will execute on our vision. We have the tools, we have the systems. All we need to do is the find the right people and teach them how to run a Dillas. We don't need to teach them how to run a restaurant, right? They just need to know how to do Dillas from us. Yep. What do you, what do you all think about this kind of, 
I guess it's February. It still feels like the year just started. But what do you think about the marketplace out there right now? I mean, I we, we kind of ask this of everyone who comes on here lately, just yeah. I think coming off of last year, seems like growth is maybe a year away for a lot of people, just given some of the delays and costs and profitability and trying to catch your breath from all this insanity and see what happens next. Mad cow disease, maybe. I don't know. It's possible. <laughs> Maggie. I know. Uh, I'm, I'm bullish, you know, and I think that I'm, I wouldn't be as bullish if I was running maybe like a full serve, you know, or like a, a high ticket uh, restaurant because they've taken so much price. Um, and now that things are kind of slowing down for a lot of consumers and they're getting hit from every angle, you know, like you're not just taking it in the shorts from your restaurant. You're taking it in the shorts at the pump. Uh, you're taking it like if you ever fly someplace, if you travel at all, if you go grocery to your grocery store, store yeah. like it's, you know, any of that stuff. If you try to do a project around your house, if you want to buy some furniture, like everything is gone up. And so I think the ones at the top are going to feel um, more of the, the pressure and will probably be heading into some uh, headwinds as it pertains to this year and kind of growing into the next couple of years. Um, we really feel a little bit more tailwind. Um, you know, yes, uh, we are competing in the same markets as everybody else. And, you know, it does cost a little bit more um, to build these new restaurants. But just as it costs more to build the restaurants, AUVs have also gone up as an industry by 10 or 15% or 20%, whatever the additional cost you've applied to your menu. And so your AUVs are probably were 1.6 uh, uh, two years ago, and now they're probably 1.9 or 2.1, right? And so you can expect to invest a little bit more in your building of your restaurant because you can expect higher AUVs because money's it's still all about the profitability. Yeah. You, you know, the percentage that you bring to the bottom line. So like Kyle said, higher AUV should yield higher profit. Um, so it's all in relation, you know, like, and I don't foresee these costs coming back down drastically, you know, like, yes, it's increased $150,000 potentially to build a restaurant, but like, it's not going to be next year. Like, Oh, now it's back down. Yeah. You know, like the, the, and Supply the demand can only change so much. Commodities, um, you know, I, I pay pretty close attention to the commodities market. We have a very good, um, you know, purchasing partner um, that kind of really keeps us in tune. Uh, it's been either flat or deflationary for the last few months. You know, um, you've got little spikes and things that happen here and there with eggs or chicken, but it's not like continually ratcheting up like it was last year. Um, you know, so there's some good signs there, like a little bit more predictability in the COGS line. Um, whereas it was completely wheels off, uh, you know, last year or for the last 18 months or so. Um, the labor market has been the other challenge, you know, um, you know, we're pretty much, you know, looking at in the range of 13 to $14 as, as a starting uh, rate, whereas that probably, yeah, yeah, you know, whereas that probably would have plus tips. So they're making most of the time $17 an hour as a 17 year old that's looking for part-time work um, versus uh, three years ago where that may have been kind of like a nine fifty to $10 entry. Um, so those things are going up, that's putting price uh, pressure on menus. And so all those things together, like could be a little bit scary, um, but they all work in concert. 
And it's nothing that's scaring us um, from kind of moving forward with confidence. And as it pertains to the franchise market, um, you know, the, the people that we've had some discovery days with at this point, um, a lot of, you know, these mature brands are kind of, a lot of them are built out, um, don't have a whole lot of territory. So there is a high demand from uh, sophisticated franchisees um, for new brands, new opportunity. Um, so like, I, I think that they're, you know, the market is still strong, um, may not be on fire like it was coming out of 2020 uh, for franchising, but like, we still feel really good about it. Yeah, and I, I agree with your point, Maggie. I don't think the cost to build is going to evaporate suddenly over a year. I think the most that anybody could really hope for is that just the timeline gets shorter. Yeah. But yeah. because that right now is um, is crazy. Um, and it even, you know, as we mentioned, it extends into your life of everything you do. You try to, as I've said on this podcast many times, I tried to order a couch the other year and it took about nine months to show up. It's crazy. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that like, you know, it's, um, you know, the, the schedules and the timelines, like you, you kind of just got to make a decision and go um, because the last thing that we want to do is like be behind. And if you're in the restaurant business for the short term, you are in the wrong business, right? We're signing 15, 20 year leases, you know? So like, if you're like, Oh, I'm going to wait six months. Like there, I don't know if there's any real gain because the way you make money in the restaurant business is like, in the trailing end of your 10 year leases, you know what I mean? Like that's where yeah. the debt goes away and you can really become profitable at a strong level. Um, so if you're in it for like a one year turn, I don't know why you're even looking at those numbers. It's all a long game in the restaurant business. Right. So before I let you all go, um, just kind of want to ask you what's, what's next for the brand. I mean, we've covered a lot of it, but just in terms of maybe on deck here for this coming year, you know, definitely mm -hmm. sounds like you got a lot of exciting initiatives and and work ahead of you to be methodical in different places. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we'll just yeah we'll just kind of open up the floor to you if you want to just um, tell us kind of what what to be on the lookout for from the brand here this year and and perhaps into the near future. I'm gonna just do kind of the really quick one year, and then I'll let Maggie kind of talk about uh, the three year and kind of like where the vision is, um, kind of bigger picture. Um, but this year, like we're opening restaurants, you know, so we're super excited. We're going into markets that are close to us. Um, we're really aggressively pursuing company owned growth. Um, the franchise stuff is a little bit secondary right now. We don't have any major openings or partnerships to announce at this point in that realm. Um, but we're opening a new location in Forney, Texas, uh, another location in Frisco, Texas. We've got one on deck in Ulysses and Saginaw. Uh, we've got a few second gen locations that are scattered throughout DFW. Capel. Um, um, so there's a lot of uh, growth happening kind of in the DFW area um, that Maggie and I are really passionate about and the communities that we can support here. And then kind of after that, like we're... Well, and we've got our Shreveport partner has one slated for early next year as well in Ruston mm -hmm. um, with Louisiana Tech University being nearby and then a couple in Tyler. Tyler, um, yeah, excited about that. Very exciting. So we have two franchise groups that we're in talks with currently, no done deals, um, but excited about potential there. And we're looking really at um, regional concentric growth. So moving into other markets in Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arkansas, you know, trying to 
keep it where we can support it well. But, you know, I'd say um, by the end of the next three years, we're looking at 25 to 30 units is our goal there. And, you know, our 10 year goal is serving 150 communities. So the, it's all about the community piece of it for us. And we really wanted to make sure that we look at our targets in terms of how many people we're serving in those communities versus just number of units open or revenue. So, um, but, you know, we're, we're looking for all those regional areas to start moving into and we'll start even with company a little, we'll be DFW focused, but branching out a little bit from DFW, we've got a potential opportunity in Waco. So like, um, looking also at testing into college markets as part of our strategy to kind of something untapped for us that we haven't dove into yet. So excited about the Ruston and Waco opportunities is kind of opening the door for what we could do in college markets too. And like, we're just pursuing our purpose, you know, like Maggie and I, like, um, we love people and like in the restaurant business, you have to get performance through people and you serve your community, you know? So like our purpose really does this come back down to building community through Primo Quesadilla meals. And like, that's what we want to do. Like, those are the types of communities that we want to go into. Those are the types of communities that like, if they have good people there, uh, we don't have TVs in our restaurants. Like we know that if you come there, you like quesadillas. So like we're building these quesadilla communities all over the Southwest and eventually throughout the United States. And so uh, we're just passionate, excited, you know, and just trying to live the American dream. I'm going to, I'm going to be in Austin in April for restaurant spaces. I definitely have to find one if you all are out there. <laughs> Not yet. We're not in Austin no, yet. Uh, We're from Austin, so like it's on the list, you know. Yeah. Um, like that market is uh, super exciting for me. But like before I go back there as like the hometown kid and ride my my, my uh, horse into town, like I'm gonna I want to make sure that uh, it's gonna be right and we're gonna do it right. Yeah, I think we we're looking gotcha. at targeting. You know how we've built out DFW was kind of starting in the suburbs where it's very community driven. And um, we see that being our attack, if you will, going into the large markets is really like working our way from out to in. Um, so when we get to the Houston and Austin and San Antonio, we will probably be looking suburban areas and then gradually move into town. Yep. Gotcha. All right. Well, Kyle and Maggie, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's been awesome. Thank um, especially, you. you know, Ben will take this Napoleon Dynamite story <laughs> with him forward into life. Which, oh, uh, sure. <laughs> I know he's excited. So yeah, we look forward to following the brand. Uh, of course, you know, we'll continue to, to track everything you all do. And I'm sure we'll we'll talk again in the future. Maybe we could do this a year from now as a catch up. Yeah, That's sounds awesome. great. We'll be ready. All right, cool. And for everybody out there who's listening, as always, we appreciate it.